Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast, a podcast where we help you take your ideas from a dream to reality. Each episode will cover topics to help you overcome frustrations we all encounter in our maker community. I'm Trevor Wanamaker, a part-time maker running MakerExperiment.com, and my co-host Stephen Ellis is a part-time woodworker running Old South Woodcraft, and Martina Miller, who's a full-time maker running Naughty by Nature Designs. We've all encountered bumps and pitfalls along the road we call making, and we are using this podcast to help you avoid the same pitfalls. Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast for episode 40, where we're going to talk about our worth. So this week, Stephen is still out. Martina, what's going on? I can't believe it's episode 40. I know. That's what I was just thinking when I yeah. said it. <laughs> because It's kind was, of unreal. I was thinking, oh, we should probably look up what episode number, but geez, 40. It's, not it's pretty amazing that I we've been we doing should... this for almost a year now. I haven't been on the whole time, but I started chatting with you before you even started the podcast, so it's crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, hopefully it keeps going and we pass the 100 mark. There you go. Hopefully no one gets sick of us. Well, getting to 50, I think, is the first real milestone. Yeah, and it's going to be here before we know it, too. It's one of those things, you're like, oh, 50 episodes isn't that many. And then when you're doing them, and you're putting them together, and you're editing them, and you're publishing them, and all that other stuff that goes into it, you're like, man, 50 is a lot. Well, even trying to think of topic ideas, because that's all we think about all week long, and it's still right before we start recording. What are we going to talk about today? It's, yeah. It's a lot of work. We usually have a few, and then we're like, uh, which one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. What are you watching this week? Uh, I'm still on my Marvel adventure I'm on Guardians of the Galaxy 2 now, so I have seven more movies to go, I think, by probably Saturday, so I can see the new Avengers. You've pretty much been on a Marvel kick the whole time. Yeah. Well, there I probably, like, Black Panther's good, but I'm not going to watch that one again, because it won't really roll into the Avengers. Um, but, like, there's been two days in the past week where it was we were able to kind of just sit and knock out a bunch of them. And then it's like watching them for the first time again, but then Avengers, Infinity Wars, I feel like makes more sense now going back and watching all these. It probably would make more sense if I went back and watched all of them like you are. The problem is I watch one and then I wait like two months and then I'll watch a different one and then I forget half the stuff that happened that connected them. <laughs> well, it's hard because some of it is like not completely appropriate for your kids not that it's bad but you know there's a lot of adult humor and then it depends how your view of violence and stuff is so i don't typically watch them with my kids so it'd be hard for you to watch well i mean there's some that i don't i don't totally mind them watching like you know if there was spider-man or something mm -hmm. usually those are pretty tame Black Panther was fairly tame for the most part. There have been some where I think Marvel-wise most of them would be okay because they're not really the type that emulate anything they see 
from that. But if they were watching, like there was one time when they were younger, the, we, we thought they were asleep. And my wife and I were watching Game of Thrones, and my daughter started talking about the show. I'm like, "You're not supposed to be watching this." <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know what happens in Game of Thrones, but I've I've heard that it's not for children. Well, Game of Thrones is what I watched this week. Yeah. <laughs> the new series started. And I'm not going to spoil anything. Lost so. our friendship over it this week too. Yeah, because somebody doesn't want to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> I think you've you've officially lost friendships with half our listeners at least. I know. I'm you can send hate mail to me. That's totally fine. And your wife for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know she got so mad when I called it poopy. Like someone asked me if I watched Game of Thrones, I was like, no, it's poopy. As she was watching it in the room with me, and I was playing on my phone, and she well, the just... fact that you haven't watched it but think it's poopy, she's had it on enough in the background with me being in there that it's not my jam. So, it's it's been for how many years? This is the eighth season, right? Something like that. She's so I've been around through. Well, she hasn't put on the first, the new episode for this season yet, but I've been around for, in and up for seven seasons, and it's just not my jam. It's all gray. They all have accents, which I don't hear very well to begin with, so then it's really hard to understand these accents, and there's, no, there's not enough dragons to keep me amused. We may have to reevaluate our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's three dragons. Nope, I need more dragon action if you're going to keep me entertained. Well, I went from zero dragon action to three, so that's better than nothing. But anyway. I'm curious. I am I would laugh if I do get messages like, what is your problem? Why don't you like Game of Thrones? Everybody send messages to Martina about how Game of Thrones is awesome and she needs to watch it. Go for it. You won't change my mind. I could be like that little... Game of Thrones sucks. Change my mind. I like the little meme. That's what you should do. You should put out a table in your backyard <laughs> and take a picture with a sign. And th- you know what? That'll go viral. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know of any other people that don't watch it. I don't either. Now I'm just a unicorn. Because we watch it. My sister-in-law watches it. I think my sister watches it. I mean, other than my parents. Your parents probably watch it. They don't. They don't have HBO. You just need the app. Yeah, they won't do it. Oh, you're like, this is where I get my cheapness from. They yeah, wanna... pretty much. <laughs> they don't want to pay 15 bucks more a month. I'm only doing it through the Game of Thrones season that just launched, and then once that's over, canceling it. <laughs> We're only doing it for Game of Thrones. See, Big Little Lies will come out right after... Game of Thrones, so I'll have to get bit HBO. And then you can watch Game of Thrones. No. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about this week besides Game of Thrones? You know, everybody's talking about what they should sell their stuff for or ship it for or how to do the cost of things. And it kind of came to mind, and I'm there's other podcasts that have talked about this, but the whole idea of charging what you're worth and what you think you're worth now there's a lot of factors i think that play into this there's like the uniqueness factor right so if you're completely unique your worth is probably a little bit higher than somebody that does the same thing 20 other people do 
So I think that plays along into your pricing. But going into, you know, what you're worth, how unique you are, and what you're doing, your location even, for that matter, all kind of play into this factor of pricing. So I thought we could talk about this and bounce ideas off each other and maybe give people a good idea of, you know, what factors to think of when it comes to pricing and that kind of stuff. That's, I think I have a hard time with that personally sometimes, the uniqueness of things, because I feel like I'm building the same thing or the same concept over and over again, which starts to become like a little mundane and not as exciting to start a new project. But this one that I'll start probably next week is outside of my comfort zone, so I'm excited about that. But I think building up to that like building the past couple dining tables that I have and just improving my skill set had made me more comfortable to ask what I wanted to ask for price for that project. And I had no pushback from the client and they agreed immediately. I think I told you that I would like sent it off and I was like, I'm going to set my phone down now. So I don't like sit and refresh my phone to make sure like they have anything to say. And before I even walked outside, he had already sent a payment over. So, um, which, you know, we all say is a good and a bad thing when someone pays you that fast. It's worrisome that you didn't charge enough. But then I actually had to talk to him the other day and I found out why he was able to pay so fast. Basically, he had money burning a hole in his pocket and he was afraid that he was going to blow through it. So he he sent it over before he screwed himself over, even though his start date was a little bit late. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. He had gotten a moving stipend for work. So he had it like allocated for building custom pieces for his house. Excuse me. So that made me feel a little bit better about pricing and everything. And they came from the Bay Area, which is crazy pricing compared to where I'm at. That's awesome, though. Yeah. Um, But just, I think it's, I feel like with building custom, it's like every project you work on improves your skill set to take on bigger and better things. And if you're not working on projects like that, is you got to figure out, is it worth your time to be taking on? that small stuff that's not going to help you increase your skill set and give you the ability to charge more for your next project. And I think that's a key thing because there's a lot of people that don't want to get out of their comfort zone. They like the bubble. (laughs) I mean, some people don't either want to take the risk because they're afraid they're going to mess it up, which newsflash, like we've all messed stuff up. The only way you're going to learn and gain skill, I think, is to take on something you're not comfortable with, potentially mess it up, learn from it, move on. Because once you've figured out, you know, how to fix a mess up or do that new thing, that's like you said, you're adding that to your skill level that then increases your uniqueness it increases your ability and increases your opportunities. But, I I mean, I know a lot of people don't feel comfortable going out of their comfort zone, obviously. Right. I just, I think you shouldn't be completely against it. It's kind of like trying different products for your projects. Like, don't be so closed-minded about it. And it's not saying that you can't go back to what you've kind of developed as your niche market and everything. Like, if you only want to build 
cutting boards and charcuterie boards, that's fine. There's money in it. But why, why don't you take on a side project of trying to build like a side table or a coffee table? And that will help you become more efficient in other things and other skill sets. But don't be so against it. Well, and even with that, you can you can go pretty far with a cutting board, right? Because you can make face grain, edge grain, end grain. You can make patterns. You can do inlays. You can do grooves in it. I mean, there's a lot of different skills that you can learn from trying to make different styles of cutting boards that can also then translate to other bigger things like doing inlays and tables, doing inlays and furniture, whatever it might be. But maybe doing something small like a cutting board and learning one of those skills, like building a router jig to do grooves, Mm -hmm. even that stuff can be helpful when you get to a bigger project. But I see where you're going. Yeah, it's just like even if you're not going to, like you learn how to use an inlay, you can always do that and collaborate with another maker on a project. Like they could build a coffee table and you've had like honed in your skill of being able to do inlays and you could help them out because it's not an easy technique to learn. I can cheat because I have a CNC and use that to help me out with inlays. But when people are doing it by hand, like if they're routing it out or chiseling it out, that's not easy. That's a fine skill. That's a time consuming Mm -hmm. process. If you do it that way. Yeah, that's, it's doable, but I can see why people wouldn't want to do it. Oh no, I totally understand why people wouldn't want to do it. I don't think I'd ever try it without a CNC. But... <laughs> I need to try it with my CNC. Yeah, you do. Well, I Just... fired it up this week, finally, for the first time in months. Just make a an ink table or something for your house and just mess with it see what happens (laughs) i i'm so this is gonna sound like it like i'm tuning my own horn but i'm so busy starting like the 29th that i'm not going to be able to do anything for my house but this is like what my goal has been since we started this to like have my queue so lined up that i can't like sacrifice any of my time so i have this big entertainment center coming up and then that client wants a couple more project and then I have another client that also wants big builds done. So I have an epoxy table in the works and then he's going to want epoxy shelves that match that and potentially a coffee table. Um, the client that I'm doing the entertainment center for, he wants that and then a, a slab outdoor dining table. So there's like these big projects that are going to take up so much space in my garage. I'm not even going to be able to work on anything for me or any small builds. That's a good thing, though. It's Yeah, it's a good problem to have. It's it's overwhelming, but exciting at the same time. And now we're heading into summer, so then I have that, like, you know, outside factor that we talked about last week that I have to deal with, too, because my garage isn't insulated. So I think I'm just going to start working at 4 a.m. <laughs> so it's not deathly hot out there. Well, that's the problem that I have, too, is I go out there. If I go out in my garage any time between maybe 12 p.m. and probably like 6 p.m. in the summer you're, you're gonna die yeah <laughs> even maybe like until 8 p.m. because it can be 130 degrees in a garage yeah my two standing fans or like my little box fans that I have they're not gonna cut it oh they just move hot air yeah right to you <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out in that long list 
how fast can I complete everything and prioritize what's going to be more weather sensitive too. Um, like obviously the epoxy table, I have to worry about temperature in there so that it cures. So I can't have it be 110 outside for weeks. So if I, unfortunately he reached out to me after this client for the entertainment center did. So he's lower in the queue. So I have to really like bust butt on this entertainment center so I can get to the epoxy table. But this is all stuff I've never done before. So it should be really interesting and make it's going to make me think more and work harder and put some skills to use that I don't think I've ever used before. Well, in my book, that's a good thing. That's, I mean, that's the point of all of this, I think. Well, there can be trying to take on too many things. Like, well, you don't, all... you also don't want to be like jack of all trades and not good at any of them. Right. <laughs> Well, I feel like since it's all kind of in the furniture family, it's well, not... Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's not making, like, you see some people that it's like, oh, yeah, I do a little bit of everything, and it's like, but what are you really great at? And it's like, I'm okay at all of this stuff. Like, you kind of got to figure out your niche and hone it in a little bit more. My niche just happens to be a little bit broader because it's furniture making, and there's a lot of different pieces of furniture. I'm not going to start building dressers or anything because I don't want to do drawers. Well, and you're not going to be welding anytime soon. Not anytime soon. But I told you, I found a connection here, I think, that will be able to do metal work for me. So that might See, be See, that's what to... I would do. Yeah. Is I would outsource things like metal work because, well, for one, you have to have an area where you can shoot sparks and not catch shit on fire. Right. <laughs> so... To me, like, I don't have that kind of space, and I know two people that do metal work in town, so I would just go to them if I needed it. And there's another person that has a CNC that is 5 feet by 10 feet. Well, I can just go to him yeah, for now. Yeah, so massive. And then, I mean, most of the things are, I mean, obviously my focus is laser stuff, and more of the laser CNC design. And yours is more of the furniture building and that kind of stuff. And I think if you're somebody that does, you know, if you do furniture and you have like a CNC focus to it, that's fairly niche down, mm -hmm. I think. There might be in cases where, like you said, okay, you build furniture and you build cornhole boards and you build cutting boards and you build whatever shelves i don't know but if you don't have like one singular grouped focus like your furniture like yeah a lot of things play into that but you typically focus on the furniture side not so much the cutting board side that's, unless it's like uh i don't know like a christmas present for somebody or something right that's like the cornhole boards thing I'm trying to just do seasonally because they're easy, but they also, they still take time. You still have to cut them down and sand them all. And stand, you yeah. Know. Um, but that's, that can outfit my shop, which is crazy. Like I can make a decent amount of profit on a set of cornhole boards to where it's basically all profit and no materials and people are willing to pay that. So like right now someone wants three sets of cornhole boards and like that, pays for most of my track saw so how do i say no to that so 
and it's not going to take me that much time. So I'm like, oh, I could fit in three sets of cornhole boards before I start this big project. And then I probably won't do any more this year. I think doing one-offs occasionally is not a big deal. But you're not selling yourself as a cornhole board maker. You're selling yourself as a furniture maker. Yeah. So there's a because people can still come to you and be like, hey, would you be able to do this? And then you can decide whether or not it's something you want to do or can do. Right. It's that's what's hard. It's, you know, are you able to do this? It's like, yes, but it's not really worth my time. It's not really worth your money because I'm going to have to charge you more like there's some stuff that's more worth it to go to the Amazon, the wafer, whatever, because, or even like an Etsy shop where someone is built, like making a lot of, you know, custom signs and stuff. It's not worth it for me to do what you and I have had that conversation of trying to figure out what's worth your time and what's not worth your time with taking on projects, which that one, yeah. it's, that's tricky. Like turning down any money, it's hard, but it's not, sometimes it's not worth your time to take on a project less than a hundred bucks. And there have been a couple this year. I had one where somebody was messaging me on Instagram and they said, I have this custom thing that I want to frame. I was like, okay. And they said, could you build the frame? Like, honestly, probably not. And I'm like, why not? It's like, well, for one, the only way to that I feel comfortable making a custom frame for whatever you're framing is if I had it on hand. So I make sure it fits. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ship it to you and find out in the end that your measurements were off at eighth of an inch and now it won't fit, which is perfectly possible. And they said, well, if I sent it to you, would you be able to make it? I said, honestly, it's going to cost you more than it's probably worth to try to do this. Because it's going to take way too much time to plan it, design it, and do all these things just to have the frame. Right. Now, if I'm doing like a custom LED sign that has the custom frame with it, like that's part of the process. And I'm making everything. So I'm not just doing the frame, I'm doing the frame, the acrylic, everything. And it's easier to line everything up and match everything and have it all fit. But when you take these one-offs, people expect if they're getting a frame, it's going to be, you know, like 50 bucks to 100 bucks. I don't know why they come up with these prices. <laughs> but I feel like a lot of people that aren't from the maker community, well, there, there's really two kinds of people. There's people that aren't from the maker community that feel that everything should be a Walmart price, regardless <laughs> of it being custom. And then there's people that are from the maker community that don't have the skill that you do, but are like, well, I can figure out a way to do it. So you should probably be cheaper than me trying to figure it out. And then you tell them the price and they're like, that's way too expensive. I'm like, yeah, even though you it's taking also you, do custom work. <laughs> it's taken you years to like purchase the tools that make it easier for you to be able to build the project that they're unable to build. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you ever heard that, I don't know if it was a meme, but it was about a guy, like a shipbuilder or something, or a shipping company, and the the ship itself, the engine died, right? And 
they couldn't get it fixed and they called different people nobody could fix it and a guy came and he's like okay what's wrong with it and they told him he walked up to it hit it with a hammer and it instantly started running and the guy said okay give me the invoice and it said ten thousand dollars <laughs> and the guy said this is ridiculous he said itemize it out so i know what i'm paying for and he said okay hitting it ten dollars knowing where to hit it nine thousand nine hundred ninety dollars yeah <laughs> it's like that's that's the thing it's the knowledge it's what you know it's for your skill it's not yeah i mean anybody can make anything we make right but not everybody can make it as detailed as good as refined i mean even if you look at the paint on people's stuff somebody that knows or has figured out their painting process has a much better finish than somebody that thinks you can just spray paint and directly on it with no primer process and anything. And you'll see a huge drastic difference. Right. I feel like I didn't, because I don't ever do MDF or I very rarely spray paint. I feel Mm -hmm. like watching your stories and like Lizzie's stories, I can't believe how many freaking steps there are to spray paint something. I think mine has at least seven steps. Yeah, that's nuts. And like, I don't that, know about Lizzie's. It's pretty close, though. Like, people have to pay for that, and people have to understand how to pay for that. I think with the smaller projects, though, like the price point on say just say under a hundred bucks, like smaller stuff. I think it's completely different for someone that's doing this as a side hustle. That mm-hmm. you know, they come home from work and that's their relaxation, like hand painting a sign. Like more power to you that you can make money off your hobby. But since I'm full time, like it's you really have to evaluate what's worth your time, money and effort. Because should I take on that one sign that's gonna make you know, I charge a hundred bucks so I'm making mm-hmm. whatever, seventy five bucks, what whatever you wanna call it off of that. But it's taken me four hours. Could I use that four hours towards a dining room table that's going to, like, pay me a month's worth of income? So. And that's that's where you have to evaluate and figure that out. But you're right. There's people that only do it as a side hustle and only want to keep it as, like, a hobby that right. generates some money. There's people that are retired that are just looking for something to do and figure it could make some money which is awesome i mean more power to you it does present a problem to people trying to go full-time or that are full-time that their prices are undercutting yours right i mean that's the unfortunate side effect of the people that are charging five dollars an hour for their time yeah or they're discharged just to cover materials yeah teach their own but it's you have to figure that out when you're charging your prices like what you want to compete with do you want to compete with your worth or do you want to compete with someone else's worth well and i've had people come to me for quotes and then turn me down saying that they can get it cheaper somewhere else it's like go ahead this is my thing about that if they decide that they don't like your price that's fine don't be a jerk about it though like you don't have to i just had this conversation with someone the other day he sent off a bid and so someone sent him a table design so a, literally a photo from another maker's website and she said this is the table i want and he sent her off an estimate and then changed the materials from what was in the photo to an upgraded 
material for the top and then the photo had a wooden base but he was charging her for a metal base and Mm -hmm. she sent off the estimate and she said you're too expensive this guy's only going to charge this amount of money with shipping it's still cheaper than you so i'm just going to go with him you don't need to be rude like i like i get that we're all in the maker community so we understand that but like i i hopefully maybe a customer listens to this tell your friends don't act like that just kind of keep those crappy comments to yourself like you could just say unfortunately i i can't move forward at this time and then yeah don't like don't do a slap in the face about my prices and my quality of work when you're turning me down for a project well and also don't completely ghost people either yeah which that's, that's a whole, i've had a at whole least four quotes right there for you yeah where people don't <laughs> respond yeah that should be a topic we'll talk about that at some point <laughs> but the so there's always ways to come up with their pricing and i know i know lizzie has this like formula that she uses and there's people that do you know like the gross margin and all that stuff or they do it by some percentage and you can make it really complicated if you want to but in the most simplistic terms i mean i don't go through those complicated calculations right now Mm -hmm. like maybe in the future it'll present itself that as part of the business it makes sense to do that i don't know but right now, if you're pricing something out, because you don't really do the complicated calculations with gross margin and all that either. Um, I'll start to play with it a little bit, but it's not as, it's not that detailed. Like I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't use it that often. So when you're building a price, to kind of give people context as to how we price our stuff, as far as you can say it as percentages or whatever how or what goes into your pricing and how do you figure it out because what you do and what you're accounting for is slightly different than what i have to account for so i figured if we both talk through what we put into our pricing it can give people a good idea it's like a like just roughly it's materials and then i'll figure out what all the little nitty-gritty materials that i'll need to build it so materials aren't just whatever wood product that you're going to use to build it. It's everything that it's going to take to build it. So you're all the wood you'll need screws, glue, um, a percentage of covering your tool wear and tear. Like, so that's like an additional little fee in it. Um, sandpaper, if I'm going to use paint, if I'm going to use stain, all that needs to be accounted for. And then add on X amount of percentage for waste, like, so say I need 10 board feet at 20% on top of that in case there's error. Um, and then I also try and like we've, I've started to try and decide how much do I want to make per hour and then how many hours do I think this project is going to take me and add that in there. So and the, it, gets, it gets a little tricky because obviously if I'm giving a seven week timeline, like I can't get paid for that solid seven weeks. So, mm-hmm. but that's a cushion timeline for me. If there's any error, like if I have any errors or I have to, you know, take a day off, whatever. Um, but that, and if I can't get materials like that freaking last project I did where I couldn't find any walnut to do the top. So, <laughs> uh, that happens. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, just account, but you, and then I started doing it the past couple projects, like setting aside all my tools that I'm using in the build to just even visualize how much time and effort it's taken me. So I've tried to get a little bit better about tracking my time. So each time I do an estimate, I can more accurately pay myself. But just the amount of equipment that you use to build something, I think is important for you to see yourself, to know that your craft is worth the money you're asking. That and someone had to pay for those clamps at some point. So do you want to purchase more clamps? You have to consider that with your pricing or do you want to just keep what you have in your shop and not upgrade it even more and that's one thing is you can add so if you need a new clamp to make that project or two whatever yeah build it into your price exactly yeah if you're especially if you're old, like this is a one-off you're never going to use like you can't see yourself using like this router bit again they're paying for that router bit even if you use it again. But if it's a $40 router bit, get that $40 back. Like that's fast. You put that in your price completely. You don't say, oh, they're only going to pay for a percentage of that. Granted, like, so I definitely need this track saw for this upcoming project. I didn't put in the whole track saw into my estimated price. That's a little different. (laughs) But just like what, like smaller items like that, or if you think like, oh, I'm going to need a few more clamps or I'm going to need a different type of clamps, like spring clamps instead of um, pipe clamps, anything like that. Like you have to, you don't come out of pocket with that if you don't have to. That's especially why we're one of the reasons why we say get paid up front because you can go purchase those materials now and you're not robbing yourself to do that and trying to work harder to get reimbursed for that. Very true. That's still a couple weeks later, still mind blown that people haven't thought to get paid up front. 99% of the time I do, that was the one time I didn't. (laughs) And of course it bit me, but I did finally get paid. So we're good. Well, it's not just you. There's many people. Uh, That was the scary part. Yeah. So, People are like, yeah, I mean, I've already built it. I've sent it. I'm just waiting for them to pay me. Like, you you built it and you sent it and... I don't know if I would have done that. Yeah. I mean, in my case, they had paid for the items that I was engraving. So I wasn't out that money. It was just, just the time. engraving cost and yeah. shipping. So it was slightly different. But anyway, with mine... So, let's say it's a sign. Nuh-uh. I know, right? (laughs) What else would it be? The could be a Yeti. The So Yetis, I'll be honest, or any like mug that I'm engraving, it's typically it's typically hundred and ten percent of the mug cost if I'm buying the mug myself, because I have to go get it. Mm -hmm. Or I have to buy it and ship it to me or whatever. So there's effort in doing that. And then if you screw it up, you're kind of screwed, period. Because your your cost of engraving the mug typically isn't as high as whatever the mug was. And usually you don't have problems, but something out of the ordinary could happen. Like the powder coat could be uneven or whatever. And that's one thing where if you kind of have to charge a little bit more on every one of them 
and then among ten of them, you could cover the cost of redoing one of them if you had to. Mm-hmm. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's kind of tricky on things like that. You can't do like, okay, I can charge X amount more and still be able to cover the material if I had to redo the whole thing. You can't do that. Right. <laughs> Your mug would be like $100. <laughs> um, but when it comes to signs, so like you, I do the material and I typically do 20% extra like you do and if i'm well when i'm pricing it i account for everything as well so the sandpaper the glue the paint the primer any sealant rags that i use so i mean i usually have like the shop towels that gets built into it the the gloves that i wear when i'm doing stuff gets built into it the what else is like the electricity from running the laser gets built into the price wear and tear on the laser gets built into the price and then there's the shipping materials so there's the paper that i wrap it in the cardboard whatever's built into that stuff bubble wrap foam whatever i'm packaging it with that all gets built into it as well as the shipping cost itself and then, I mean, obviously, if you're shipping to a different country, then it's higher than if you're shipping it within the same country you're in. But all that gets built into it before I ever even account for my time. So just shipping and the materials for shipping can be anywhere from like $40 to $100 within the United States. That's nuts. Isn't it? Because it can cost me. 60 bucks to ship it from here to like Maine depending on the size of the sign and then the materials when you account for the paper and the bubble wrap and your time to actually like put them all together and customize the box or however you're doing it it hits that like 30 40 dollar mark so you can have a hundred dollars just in shipping and some shine like i've shipped a sign before where the shipping cost alone was $100. That didn't account for all the packaging, which was like another 150 bucks because I built a crate. And I packaged it extremely well. <laughs> did it make it there in one piece? That one did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're talking, it had it cost me $250 to ship it. Mm -hmm. People that are buying a 24 by 36 inch sign isn't are not going to pay $250 to ship it. But this one was that five-foot-long backlit LED oh, one. Uh -huh. So that was a big sign. And it had to make it there. And the only way to do it was freight shipping. And the only way you're going to survive freight shipping is crating it. The, the thing with the pricing, besides just the materials, is then, you know, what your time is worth, right? Mm -hmm. So... It kind of depends on your, for one, personal preference, and for two, your sector, like what you do. Right. So if if I was doing stuff on, I don't know, a scroll saw or bandsaw or whatever, I couldn't charge as much per hour 
because the amount of time it's going to take is ridiculous. And unless you're Lizzie and superhuman scroll solar. That doesn't you're, it takes hours <laughs> upon hours to do that. Part of why, like, I started with scroll saw, and I said, this takes too long, and I'm breaking a blade way too often. And it just frustrated me. So, the the thing with the per hour cost is, if, if you're really good at what you do, and you're niche down in something not a lot of people do, I mean, by effect, you kind of warrant a higher price. I think that's just how it works in business, period. Mm -hmm. It's like anything else, right? You have, if if I was working at, you know, a fast food restaurant versus if I was, like, specialized in marketing for that fast food restaurant, those two have different pay rates. So you have to think of it that way. Like, even if I'm, you know, if I'm somebody starting in laser I cannot charge as much as somebody that's been doing laser work for 20 years right if they're good at what they do you basically have to look at it like training like if you're yes. at your, a regular job and you have more training and you're more qualified than your peer you're more likely to get the job or the position and the higher pay rate so same thing with like building and making if you've been doing it for longer it justifies you charging more for your prices because you have more training and more skill set and yeah. you have that one up on your peer who is just starting out. And I think if you if you have to break it down in a per hour cost it's one of those things like if I so in my case I have a full-time job, right? If in my full-time job I figure out what my per hour cost is working for a different company. If I want to be able to take this full time, I need to be able to make just as much in my side hustle as I do in my real time job for that to even semi become a reality. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I based my pricing off of because my skill set is more in the design, the digital side and the laser side, which is more, it's more high-end manufacturing in a way. Mm -hmm. And what and I benchmark myself against other people in the laser community. And I'm actually still on the low end of some of these people. <laughs> some of these people charge like $5 a minute for laser time, which is absurd. Don't pay that if somebody's giving you $5 a minute. That's ridiculous. Bring it to you and you'll charge four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, like... Typically, typically it's within like one and a half to two fifty, because you're working with laser depreciation, the laser time, the electricity, all that other stuff. But the bonus to mine is, you know, the machine I used to run that would take four minutes to make a keychain, like those ones I made earlier this week. Mm -hmm. When I made these new keychains on my machine each one took about a minute so you're talking a three minute decrease just because right. of the machine i have so when you're going to somebody else that's charging three dollars a minute and they're using a cheaper laser that takes four minutes 
that's going to be a lot more expensive than me charging 250 a minute and it's going to take a minute mm-hmm. just for like the engraving part of it so those are all things that factor into this it's not just your own skill but it's also your machinery so if you have a high-end machine you can kind of charge a higher price even if it makes it faster for you but you're the one that made the investment to make it faster for you so you should benefit from that speed right i always get asked what i charge for my cnc prices and i don't that's not a fair thing for me to charge what's like a professional would be because I don't know what the hell I'm doing with that thing half the time. And it takes me so long to design that I can't charge like a normal hourly rate for that because it's going to take me more time because I don't know what I'm doing yet. But eventually, like, I'll become more efficient at it and my prices will change. But that's one I always hate where I'm like, don't, that's, don't ask me. I don't know how to help you with that one. Like, I know, (laughs) I don't know. See, I have that side down. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how to help you figure out prices for that. I can, I'm started to be able to design stuff i can plug it in i know which bits to use all that good stuff but the actual cost of my time on that one i'm like that one doesn't count because i'm probably sitting on my couch drinking coffee trying not to throw my computer against the wall as i figure out the design i will say it has taken me seven plus years to be as proficient at what i'm designing in the realm that i'm in as i am that's why you got to put people in your tribe that have skill sets that you don't have i can't design things i've made a new friend that well apparently we're not friends anymore because i don't like game of thrones but i made this friend that does a lot of design i have this friend that does a lot of design work so when i'm frustrated i send it off to you and i'm like give me a hand here and then you send it back to me 30 seconds later something that's taken me three hours so <laughs> the funny part is i think it actually was 30 seconds it was so freaking time. fast <laughs> <laughs> uh, but don't get me wrong like i can't if you ask me to design a logo from scratch it's that's not my skill set yeah if you ask me to design you know like a intricate graphic poster for like marketing purposes not my skill set now if you ask me to take something and design like an ornament that can be cut out or a sign that can be cut out that is where my strength is so like cutting paths and offsetting things and getting shapes around objects to be able to cut them out in a specific shape like that's the skills that i have and i've had people come to me they're like well can you design my logo it's like honestly probably but you don't want me to yeah It's like you want a logo designer because that's all they do. That's what they focus on. And that's what you're paying for. You're paying for that experience. Now, I will say that if you are getting custom work done, you have to go to the person you want to do the work with the clearest and most defined idea you can give them. Yeah. Because if you go to them and you say, I want a table and you're asking questions about the table and they're like i don't know i just want a table okay well do you want it to sit six people eight people ten people twelve do you want it to be you know sitting height standing height do you want it you know like what are your room dimensions how big do you want it like there's all these things that play into this and i've had people come to me and say well this is my business name can you make a sign for me like, yeah, do you have a design in mind? They're like, no. I just like this name and I like sons. 
<laughs> so like I put something together and they're like, well, that's not exactly what I had in mind. I'm like, well, you didn't give me any clear direction on what you wanted. <laughs> so that's the other flip side of custom work is you often get clients that don't know what they want and they don't give you a good idea of what they want. Like they can picture it in their head, but they can't translate that to like a, a way to get it to you. If that makes like they can't pull it out of your, their head and put it on paper and give it to you and say, this is what I want. And that's what like, stuff you have to consider about with your pricing too. Did you yeah. do all this legwork before you got paid? Get Correct. paid back for that. Like if you're still in the works of designing and figuring out if they're going to go with you, remember that you put two hours into designing their mock-up and get that back when you send over your estimate when you want to get yes. paid. And there are times when I will make the person's price higher specifically because I've done hours upon hours of design work. Right. But there have been people that they want their, they or will be as well. People that want all of the design done before they ever commit to actually buying anything. Yeah. And that's the hard part. Cause sometimes you're going to, you know, do design work and not basically not get paid for it, but yeah. do whatever you have. can to try and ensure, ensure you get paid. Like if they don't like your design, like work with them to redesign it so they do decide to go with you i mean obviously there's going to be people be people that still don't like your prices and don't want to pay that but that's when you have like a rough estimate in your mind like when you start to build more especially more of the same thing you kind of know like you know your prices like if you're doing a 24 by 36 inch sign roughly base rate starting out this if you're building a four by two foot coffee table with basic materials, this is your starting price. That way you can give them a ballpark figure and tell them, like, if you want, I call them ingredients half the time, premium ingredients, that's like an Etsy thing, but premium yeah. materials, like, you're going to have to increase your price by X amount of dollars. That way you know whether or not it's even worth their time and your time to continue the conversation. Yeah. And But that that's also a skill that takes time to develop, like knowing your prices and your price range and what your time's worth but that's stuff you should be working on with every project. Correct. Same with like, so, go ahead. I was going to say, for instance, when you, for the, when you're talking about premium materials, right? So MDF, everybody knows MDF is fairly inexpensive mm -hmm. and you can, you can have one piece of MDF and paint it 50 different colors, right? So your material cost is pretty low. If you do acrylic, that stuff is expensive, mm -hmm. especially if you don't want to deal with painting it because painting acrylic, if you don't lay it down well, sanding it and trying to buff it out and redo it is going to scratch it I and bet. make it look awful. So you kind of have to buy the color you need. So if your logo has two colors, that's already like 20 times more expensive than MDF just the material because acrylic because of you know getting it and getting it shipped to you or if you buy it locally they usually make you buy the entire sheet even if you're only getting this little piece mm -hmm. so sometimes it's cheaper to buy it online and have it shipped to you and if you're doing that you have to account for every color you're doing so if for example a piece of acrylic that's 24 by 36 and quarter inch thick 
usually starts at like $54. You can typically buy a four by eight foot sheet of MDF for a fifth of that. <laughs> so when people say, oh, well, can you give me the price for acrylic and the price for MDF? And I gave it to them and there's like a drastic jump. They're like, well, why is it so much more expensive? I'm like, well, MDF is this price. Acrylic is this price. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's a huge difference. Like, I've done a project where $800 was just acrylic. Jeez. Like, think about that. That's insane. Like, the equivalent MDF would have been 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you have to you have to account for everything. So... That's where one thing is, if you don't know the design and somebody said, well, give me a quote, you can't. Like you, you can't give them a proper quote without knowing the materials they want. Now, you can give them a quote that says, if you choose this material, it's this. If you choose this, right. it's this. If you choose this, it's this. Which I've done that. I've started to do that because if people ask for an acrylic one, I will still quote them the MDF one so they know that there's a a cheaper price point. And then you still potentially make money because they have Yeah. they have options now. Well, that's the thing. You have to you have to give them options, but you can't give them too many options. Mm-hmm. So I typically give them 3. One is the MDF, one is acrylic, and then one is if they want it backlit. So those are like the 3 options I deal with right now. But even then, there may be more options in the future. Who knows? But that's one of those things where if you don't tell them that you have the three different options, they may go into it thinking they want an MDF one. And then you quote them all three. And like, oh, I never thought about backlighting it. And then you can upsell them. Right. Which I've been able to do once or twice. So if you don't put it out there that you do these other things... And another thing is when you're giving them or sending them a sign, you can include a card with like a discount coupon or code or whatever for something smaller that you make. Mm-hmm. Like I could do it for a keychain or a magnet or a mug. I just like, I think that's all, you know, part of knowing your worth, knowing that you're able to use high end materials or you can use. I guess, lower end materials, but make it look good. It That's hard though, because MDF, it's still quality. It's hard when you're like my realm of using lower end materials. It's like, it's really not going to hold up now that we're not using better ingredients or better like materials. You know what I mean? But so don't, don't compromise the longevity of the piece. But so that... MDF is pretty stable. It doesn't really like warp with humidity and drunk like that as much as like plywood but that's like literally what i ask when i'm doing consultations it's like how long do you want this table to last do you want a two-year table or do you want a 20-year table and that's going to change your price right there and then you know that gets the conversation of going of what does that mean and this is a two-year table is builder grade materials blah 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 like i'm still going to charge you for like my time is still my time whether or not we're using you know oak or if we're using pine but it's up to you how long you want something to last like if you want me to rebuild your table in two years i'm fine with that because i'm getting paid twice but just know know your different products and your different options um 
my start to be professional and do do some research and learn some things about your trade too. When I do like consultations for furniture, I know average height of a dining table because customers don't know that. So you have to explain to them like, oh, yeah. it's going to be 30 inches tall. Well, how do you know that? That's how big, that's how tall tables are. 30 inches, unless we're going with pub height, which I can't stand pub height tables. I think it's because I'm tall. I don't like to sit at them, so I don't want to build them. So, uh, <laughs> but like no stuff like that. Coffee table, 16 to 18 inches tall. Like that's your average unless, you, you know, like just learn stuff like that because then you look like a professional and you could charge more. Like it, you sound like you know what you're doing at that point when you could start throwing off numbers. I The other day for the client that I'm going, so I start his project next week. He asked, he wants, it's an entertainment center. He wants to get his TV mounted in the meantime. And he asked if I'd come out and mark off where the, the piece of furniture is going to sit so he can have his TV mounted. And I was like, I went over there and marked everything off and He's like, every spec in size is right for me to be able to mount my TV. And like, I had to tell him, yeah, it's like, I know what I'm doing, right? Like, he was like, you have the exact dimensions for each side of the TV to where I would be able to mount it and pull it out and turn it. I'm like, I, it's custom. Like, this is the point of it. It's that, so it's right and perfect and it looks intentional. So I, I think it gave him even more confidence in me that he's going to have a good quality piece of furniture. Well, that's the trick, right? It's yeah. custom. Yeah. So it's it's built the way you need it, not modified to try and meet your needs. Like, it's not like an Ikea hack. Right. <laughs> so now, like, it's funny because they're like, it's going to be, like, too big and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, you're on the wall right now where this piece of furniture is going. You're never going to be watching TV on your wall where the piece of furniture is, like, go sit at the couch now go and it's an open concept like living room to kitchen go mm -hmm. where the kitchen is and now look at where all my tape marks are they're like if it's the space perfect yeah it's custom this is exactly yeah. why you're going custom <laughs> well and with that is custom pricing yeah custom ain't cheap. it's when you get the clients that want that custom stuff with the walmart price which you will get you'll get it but is that worth your time? You don't time? have to agree to it. it. Yeah. Don't be afraid to say no. I will tell you that now. I have said no to people. And it's it's one of those things where it was hard because it was... I would have gotten paid. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, I will get money. But it was one where I would have put in six hours of work and I would have made 50 bucks. Yeah. That's, like, that's not worth it to me. It's like because I can go out there and search and try to get jobs like I can, you know, do a mug and I'll get messages about three or four people. And I can make the same from engraving four or five mugs as I can from that same six hours of work for 50 bucks. I can get $50 and only have like, you know, an hour's worth of work. It's it's one of those things where, yeah, you'd get paid, but you really have to think about, A, is it going to be worth your time? B, is there something about it that you know is going to be frustrating and ultimately going to make you mad or upset or angry or whatever, which will then not only affect how you feel about that kind of project, 
but how you feel that day period. Mm-hmm. Like I've had jobs where I was so frustrated. I shut down for the day. I was like, I'm done. Like this is angering me to a point where I'm going to fly off the handle and I need to walk away. Like me and Stain. Yeah. Like you and Stain. <laughs> so mine, it was like the glue up was so complex and difficult and I did not charge enough for that sign because that was one of my earlier ones. And I regretted that one so bad after I was done with it. It's even worse if you have one that does that and then it gets broken. Oh, God. And then you have to redo it. That's the worst. See, like, you have to, those small projects, though, like, it may not be worth your time financially. Like, you're not making as much as you want. But you can also think about, like, is it worth being in your portfolio? Like, you may not make a bunch, but maybe, like, if you batch it out, you can make a good amount of profit. So think about yeah. there's different types of worth. There's different types of value a project can bring you. So you have to think think bigger picture than just that current moment. Well, and that's a good point because if I have if I have two signs, both are equally as difficult. They're going to be equally as frustrating. It's going to take the same amount of time. It's the same price. And you're not getting paid enough, right? One of them might be, you know, somebody that saw your page and wants the Walmart pricing. One of them might be, I don't know, a YouTuber with 500,000 subscribers on YouTube and 40,000 subscribers or followers on Instagram. You may want to take the one for the influencer and hope that they'll share it and get you some more business. But you might not want to take the other one that's like the person with the Walmart pricing that's that doesn't have any kind of following whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So you also have to think about it like you said. Is it is it worth being part of your portfolio? Because a big part of this is, think about it like any other company. Would you want something built by somebody that did work for Red Bull or the or somebody else that's charging the same price that has only done work for like individual customers like would you go with the person that has done high end clients right or would you do the person that's just getting started now it makes it tough for people like us that maybe haven't done anything for a well-known or high-end client to get your name out there. But that's where you as a maker have to reach out to those companies and try to do something maybe for free to get your name out there and market it. And then you can say, I did work with X company. Mm -hmm. So chances are if the people that are doing work for bigger accounts reached out to that account in some fashion in most cases. Now that may not be the cost or not the cost may not be the case for, I think, uh, modern builds did one for Gary V. I don't know who reached out to who, but that's pretty awesome. Now think about all the time and years it takes to build your following and your channel and whatnot to be able to get noticed like that by an outside company. Mm-hmm. You are better off trying to reach out to them and do something at a discount and try to get out there faster 
than re- trying to rely on somebody coming to you. No offense, chances are nobody's going to come to you <laughs> unless they see something you've done for a bigger person. Right. That's that's It didn't happen for me until I started doing signs for more well-known people. So if I waited till somebody came to me for a sign, I'd still be waiting. It's, it's also like the nature of like your line of work versus my line of work. It's a little bit different. Correct. But at the same time, like if I'm not getting inquiries or projects, I could build a piece of furniture for my house that I can now have because I still have a room that needs furniture in it and put that on my page, put that on my website and have people say, oh, I need something similar. Can we meet up? Exactly. And that's where it works really well. I can't hang 50 signs in my house. <laughs> right. So right. Or that's kind of yeah. where reaching out to other people yeah. makes sense. <laughs> now, if I was building furniture, yeah, because I need a whole lot of stuff for my house. If I had time, I would build furniture for my house. But I also don't want to sell furniture because it's not. Yeah. So I mean. It's just not what I enjoy well, doing as a side business. There's projects I do that won't make it online because I don't want to do that ever again. Like it's in my wheelhouse, but it doesn't mean that I ever want to make money off of it or get inquiries for it or, you know, like some, there's just some stuff I know how to do, but it, it's not really fun for me to do or profitable for me to do. So that won't make it to my Instagram or my website. Same with if you start putting furniture on yours, like granted, you could do like follow along on your stories. Like this is what I'm doing for me because people are interested in it. But like once it's on your page, you don't want a bunch of people reaching out to you asking you for coffee tables unless they want like lasered modern furniture designs, you know, like. Well, and even then I'd probably have my friend in town build the table and then I would just laser it. But like, I mean, you could, you could, well, technically you can make like a flat chipped item. Like you can laser cut out all the parts like an Ikea, you know what I mean? Send it off to them and they could build it, which could be badass. But so difficult too. I, that's more of a CNC, I think, because you need like that thickness. Yeah, but but yeah, you're right. Like flat pack. Yeah, but I mean, that's I think that's the benefit of like being creative is that and a maker, like you know how to do a lot, and mm-hmm. it's what you want to do with it. Like you have a lot more potential than like you start learning when you do these design consults and like customer inquiries and stuff like that. Like. You either got it or you don't. Like, you either have this creative mind or you don't have it. It's not like, oh, I dabble in being creative. Like, you learn, like, people just can't see or envision what you have in mind. And that's what you have to offer. Like, that's part of your worth. Like, hey, I can mock this up for you. Or, like, let me just put something together real quick. They can't do that. Well, and that's that's really where... I will say that's 90% of where I spend my time <laughs> is trying to trying to bring the concept and communicate it to the client. Because when I did the sign for Toolpig, when we first started talking about it, what I was envisioning is not what he was picturing. And over the course of the project, we aligned in them when he got it. It's what he had ex- like wanted in the end. Mm-hmm. But when we started, that's not what he had envisioned it being. And that's, so there is the possibility, like I could take the time and 3D CAD the whole thing and make it look 
however it would look in real life. It takes a lot of time. I could do it, but then I would be building that into my price. Mm -hmm. So I kind of tell them, I can give you a 3D rendering of it, but it's going to add this to the price. Or you can look at these signs I've done in the past. It's going to look similar in concept to this. It's just not your logo. And typically they'll be like, okay, yeah, that looks the way I want it. That's that's what I want. You don't need to do the design. Mm -hmm. If you do that and you don't just offer the design for free, then typically it saves you not only time but money. Right. Because you're like, okay, this is close. It's just not your logo. And typically they get the concept, they get the idea, and they'll agree to it. I haven't yet had somebody want me to CAD the whole thing up. You will now. I could. You will now. Yeah, 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 I will. (laughs) But one thing about pricing is there are pricing guides, I think, everywhere. I think even Made for Profit has one. Right. There's some random ones online. So you can use those as reference. I don't know that I'd hold them as gospel. Regardless. Well, yeah, because you're going to learn what works for you. Exactly. And ultimately, you'll get to the point. So for me, like you were saying before, a 24 by 36 inch sign, I already know off the top of my head, it's going to be a certain range, depending on if you pick MDF or acrylic and the number of colors. Mm -hmm. So if it's two colors, I already know the range. And it's one of those things where the more you do it, the better you'll get at it the more comfortable you'll be at charging the prices you want to charge and getting your worth out of it. Two years ago, I was not getting paid what I felt it would be worth doing it for, but I also knew I couldn't charge what I needed to because I had no right. Like I had no client base or proof of work to show people that I could do this. I had to do stuff cheap to build the portfolio to show people that I could do this. Right. So like for everyone that's listening, that's just starting out, like learn from us who have been, you know, putting, have a few years behind us now making and stuff and use this as a path in a guide to start develop, to develop your brand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we're here to help you learn from our mistakes. We do our best. <laughs> But if you have questions about pricing or things in general, let us know and we'll try to help the best I, we can. I run bids by you all the time. Like it's, mm-hmm. it makes a difference having someone that understands what you're going through to be able to help you work through things. It's And it's good to have that, the people you trust, because I can send you a price and you're like, yeah, that's not what I was expecting. Yeah. Or we could send it to somebody that, like we don't know and they they might be like oh that's way too high and then if you and i talk together you're like well when you account for paint and sandpaper and all this other stuff yeah you're probably about right <laughs> like it's so the guy i was talking about earlier that sent off his price that was told he was too high um and i responded to him and i was like and just so you know you still undercharged he was like damn it like i had no idea yeah i was like you still cut way too good of a deal like that you're your higher price point and your price range would have been my starting price. He's like, good to know. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, that's what you learn. Yeah. 
like I have a crap ton to still learn and I would love to learn new techniques, acquire better tools to be able to produce better quality product, but like I still know my price based off my skill set now and the you know, the tools I have available to me now. Don't don't undercharge. Just know your worth. And if you think you're worth something, you're probably still worth more. Because every yeah. fin- project I finish, I'm like, damn it, I should have charged more on that one. Like You're usually worth more than... You're usually harder on yourself. Yeah, because I'm either like... Than other people. This is more badass than I thought it was going to be, or this took 20 hours more than I anticipated. So, note to self. Yeah. Charge more next time. Yep. So, I think we've kind of beat this subject to death. <laughs> Let's hope. Hopefully someone learned something. Otherwise, if uh, if you guys are interested, we have three products we have a now. a bunch of merch now. We're big time now. Yeah, so we have the swag pack that has the mug. We still have some Rev Mark markers left. And the bottle opener and magnet that's 45 We have the bottle opener with a magnet and sticker that's 15 And then the new addition t-shirts. is the t-shirts, which are 25 depending on the size i think there's only one that's 30 which is the 2x yeah that's i mean based off of the price we can get the shirts for so exactly um, 25 for um include shipping too so um go to the website check it out and then if you have questions there um i guess i should put on there because it's not it's like a cotton blend so it's like a little nicer material so i guess i'll have to look at that and put it on there yeah, and the so it's makervisionpodcast.com and you can see it on the right hand side or go to shop yep. and it'll be there. And then if you have any problems, you can message us on on Instagram and we'll try and help you out. If you guys have any questions or anything, show ideas, let us know. Oh, web call will be the 28th now because we had an oversight yes. that the 21st was this Easter. This was Easter. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. So, that was my yeah. fault. <laughs> Both of us. So the 28th it is will be the next one. So see you next time. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to today's show. As a continued listener, we greatly appreciate your feedback, your input, and just downloading the episode every week. If you're a new listener, thank you for hopping on, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And we also hope that you continue to join along with us every week as we'll put out new podcasts covering all sorts of maker topics. Also, be sure to check out MakerVisionPodcast.com where we'll post valuable resources, tips, tricks, and maker swag, including stickers because, you know, makers love stickers. And we'll do this to help your maker vision become a maker reality. If you have any questions, suggestions, or any general input about this particular episode or previous episodes, you can reach out to our podcast email at makervisionpodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach us on our Instagram, and that's makervisionpodcast. Even better, you can reach out to us directly through my personal Instagram, that is Old South Woodcraft, Trevor's personal Instagram, Maker Experiment, and the personal Instagram of our newest co-host, Martina, at Naughty by Nature Designs. She also runs the Maker Vision Podcast Instagram account, so if you have questions, you can reach out to her either way, and she'll be happy to help. 
Also, if you really enjoyed today's episode, or even if you didn't enjoy, enjoy today's episode, let us know. Give us a review. Hopefully it's a five-star review to show us that, hey, we've been doing good, but if you didn't, tell us what you didn't like about it, because we're happy to hear from you either way. And once again, thank you for being a listener, and we hope to see you next week. 